sisters who are here. We're, now we're doing this series, uh, you know, I've just been, been uh, working on in my life, and it's really trying to hone in on this concept of, you know, respondability, responsibility. You know, and, that, and that's a question for all of us. Are we taking responsibility for our life? And so that's kind of the series that I've been, I've been working on. Uh, next week, I'm going to start a series on mission love in the book of Acts. So just to give you a little preview. Um, but really taking ownership of our lives. And that's really a question for us this afternoon. Is are we taking ownership for the things in our lives? You know, and our initial response is, of course, yes. The last thing I want to do is admit I'm irresponsible sometimes. That's the last thing I want to do, right? But so far in our series, we've discovered a couple things. We discovered that God created us to be responsible. It's pretty awesome. We're happiest when we have responsibility and we're doing well. That makes us happy. We understand that we also learn that responsibility doesn't have to be highly regulated. We don't need it. Responsible people don't need that. They don't need laws. And also we learn that your irresponsibility eventually becomes someone else's responsibility. And that creates conflict. So we're going to look at a, at a, at a Bible story today. Turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 7. I'm not sure that I have a full slides on Joshua 7. I don't think I do, but I do have a, a little title there. If I can click this. Ooh, five minutes. Oh, there it is. Okay, just kind of put your finger there. And I'm going to talk about this passage in a minute. And this passage speaks to, I think, two kinds of people. There's the religious people, people who always pray about things. And they always pray, and they always pray, but yet they do nothing. And they almost mask their irresponsibility by always praying about it, but not doing anything about it. And some people point out to them, hey, I see this and you got to work on this. You're right. I'm going to pray about that. I'm going to stop being mean. I'm going to stop being unloved. I'm going to pray about that. I'm going to pray, pray, pray. But they don't actually stop and go and do something. You know, sometimes in my, my house, when I'm frustrated and I'm trying to hide it, I try to keep my tone of voice to like normal talk. But people in my house know when my tone of voice changes just, just so slightly. I try to mask my, my anger or my frustration. And I start talking to my daughter or Karen or, or, or Jaden. And my daughter always knows when my dial is a little, my tone is a little, Dad, you're mad. I'm not mad. I mean, I'm not angry. She, what she's trying to do is trying to get me to take responsibility for where I'm at. And I always try to find and justify my tone by defending that I'm really not frustrated. Okay, fine, I'm frustrated. Eventually it comes out. And what they're trying to tell me in my house is own that. Own when you're upset. Own when you're frustrated. Versus trying to mask it by, you know, trying to hide it. But for me, I can't hide it. My tone of voice will change. And I can become that religious person. You know, I, I, well, I'll pray about it. And then there's the other kind of person. The person that has misguided compassion. 
Yes, I'm all about understanding, but I'm talking about the misguided compassion. This is what I mean. They're compassionate people, but they apply it incorrectly. When you see someone act irresponsibly, instead of holding them responsible, we go, ah, oh, yeah, I understand. And we start to give them reasons why they're irresponsible. We start to, yes, you were tired. Yes, you had a hard week. That explains your irresponsibility. Understanding people is good. It is healthy. It is wise. Holding people responsible is good, healthy, and wise. You can do both. So this passage that we're going to look into, the context is that 650 years earlier in the covenant that God made with Abraham, he promised Abraham that they would become a nation and they will return to the promised land, the land of Canaan, after becoming slaves in another nation, which was Egypt. And we know the story that Moses led them out and Moses has died and he has not entered the promised land. And Moses has a guy who's been in training and waiting, and that his name is Joshua. And he's been tasked to go into the promised land and lead God's people there. And, and God gave them very specific instructions. You are to go into the promised land. It is currently occupied. You must go and you must conquer all the cities. It is your land. I gave it to you. And in Genesis 15, it says, In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not reached its full measure. This is God telling Abraham, Hey, in the future, I'm going to let their sin run its course. I'm going to allow time. I'm going to allow them to change. And God gave them, and the people of the land of Canaan who were living there, He gave them 400 years to change. And this was an unredeemable culture characterized by the religious conviction that you take your child and you burn them in fire to the God of Molech. This was their society. Child sacrifices. Decadence. Total disregard for human life. Especially the lives of women. Women were not revered in the Old Testament culture. When God laid out the Ten Commandments, He said, honor your father and your mother. It was ahead of its time. And so here God gives them 400 years. He wanted a nation that was uncontaminated by the pagan practices of its culture around them. That's why God said, get rid of them because they will try to influence you. And I wonder how long God has been waiting for you to change. If you've been a Christian one year, five years, 20 years, I wonder if you stop in your heart really changing. You know, God gave them 400 years to change and then their time was up. So much that God wanted this, this, them to be uncontaminated that he didn't want Israel to enrich themselves by taking the spoils of battle. When you defeat their city, God said, leave the treasure. Don't take it, just move on. Destroy the city and leave all its treasure. 
He wanted them to be free from the contamination of the world of its time. And in Jericho, Israel had to rely on him. They watched around the city and they blew the horns. They, they came down and they entered the city. But there was a man named Achan who took some gold and he took some silver. He, he must have thought to himself, finders, keepers, losers, weepers. Somebody's going to get it. Might as well be me. Can't leave this good stuff laying around. The lure of the world entrapped him. Or he snuck around, took some of the valuable items, took them to his tent, and hid them. Only he knew, possibly his family. And God was mad. God is protective of his people. God knows the condition of the hearts. God doesn't want us to be self-reliant. He wants to be God-reliant. So in Joshua 7, let's look in our Bibles in verse 2. This is kind of the backstop to the story I'm going to tell you. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near beth Avin, to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out that region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. They returned to Joshua and said, not all the army will go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it. And do not weary the whole army. For only a few people live there. So about three thousand went up. But they were routed by the men of Ai. Who killed about thirty-six of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate. As far as the stone quarries. And struck them down on the slopes. At this the heart of the people melted in fear. And became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes, fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there until evening. And the elders of Israel did the same, sprinkling dust, dust on their head, which is kind of a sign of mourning. And the implication here is, God, why did you let this happen? You know, knowing the backstory, we know where this is going. We know this isn't God's responsibility. People are responsible. And in verse 7, it says, Joshua said, Ah, oh, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Here is Joshua, full of regrets. God sent him on a mission and he's regretful that they had a setback. You know, I've been thinking about Mission Love and many, many, I hope you're, I hope you're really trying Mission Love. I hope you're really in your hearts seeking people out to love. In the mission of love, you will have setbacks. In the pursuit of trying to love somebody, it will not go well at times. You'll set it up, you'll buy food, and then they'll cancel. You'll meet them on the way, driving there to the, to the coffee shop, and then they text you and says, Oh, I can't make it. Or standing in line at Kmart for 30 minutes and trying to have a good attitude. I failed at that today. 
I had a setback in Mission Love. I was planning to share with the cashier, but it finally came out of time to buy something. I was angry at her. And I didn't share. And I told her, I would never shop here again. Setback. In my mind, it started out so good. Line was going to be long. Oh, yeah, I'm going to talk to some people. I'm going to relate. You get in there. I'm going to live upon some folks at Kmart. <clears throat> left there angry. Left there frustrated. No one got shared with. We will have setbacks. We will face these kinds of things. In verse 8. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this. And they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? In other words, this is your fault, God. You've embarrassed yourself. The blame is still in full effect. You know how many times we feel sorry for ourselves? The Bible calls that worldly sorrow, self-pity. And it leads only in one direction, spiritual death. When you begin to feel sorry for yourself, that you make mistakes and you find yourself, I'm irresponsible. There's two responses. Either I'm gonna have a worldly attitude and fill myself with self-pity, or I'm going to get up and do something about it. That's really what your choices are. And so in verse 10, look what God says to Joshua. Joshua's like, come on, man. Come on, God. What's going on? We're trying. We're trying. He says, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? You know, we find ourselves to be irresponsible. A lot of times we can feel a lot like Joshua. Face down. We find ourselves blaming God for our trouble. He says to stand up. I mean, Joshua was praying. He says, stand up. Because in God's view, there's a time to pray and there's a time to do something. And Joshua was there all day praying. He says, stand up now. And in verse, Israel, look, 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 verse 11, look what he says. Israel has sinned. Not that one guy. They have violated the covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They, not that one guy, have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them in their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They have turned their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. You know, a lot of times we try to convince ourselves well, that we're trying to make earth to be like heaven. And we live our lives trying to be, make earth the happiest place on earth. Well, let me tell you something. Earth is not our home. Nor should you try to make earth heaven. Because it's going to pass away. In fact, earth is going to be destroyed one day. And we've spent so much energy trying to be happy on a place that's never going to be like heaven. It's never going to be. But we want it to be. 
God doesn't want us relying on the world for our joy. So many times we want the world and our culture to make us happy. It will leave you disappointed. That's what Aiken thought. If I just take this stuff, it's going to make me happy. God doesn't want us to have this treasure on earth mentality. Aiken was sneaking around, stealing stuff, hiding stuff. And I started thinking, I wonder what sin we're cherishing. I wonder what sin we cherish in our hearts that we hide in our tent. Oh, yeah. What's our favorite sin? And we protect it. God wants us to do something. In verse 13, go, get up, go consecrate the people. In other words, get up and do something. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, there are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. Your spiritual power is weakened. When you try to go love people, but you're really, there's some stuff in your tent. There's sin you're cherishing, and you're trying to go out there, and you're getting messed up. You're getting slaughtered. You're having no victory. What needs to be removed from your life? You've prayed about it? Good. Now go do something about it. You know, sometimes the worst enemy we face is ourselves. We think that we can survive without a relationship with God. We think we can survive without praying and reading the Bible for direction. We think by just coming to church and getting with disciples and going to events is going to make us spiritually strong. It is not. It is just weakening you. It's a facade. You don't get strong that way. Fellowship is great, but it will not sustain you. Because the moment someone hurts your feelings, you're gone. Audi. Oh, I thought this was a different church. (laughs) Unloving people. When you're tapped into the power, you're going, I'm going to get hurt and it's going to feel good and we're going to get resolved and we're going to be family. That's what people who are tapped into God respond when there's hurt and when there's difficulty. We know it's going to work out. We're not like, oh man, he's the head usher. Verse 24. Joshua's charge was to conquer and claim. And then Joshua, together with all Israel, they took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe. That's an interesting thing to, to collect is the robe. The gold bar. His sons and daughters. His cattle. His pets. Or maybe his livestock. Donkeys and sheep. His tent and all that he had to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? 
the Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then the Israel stoned him, and after they stoned the rest, they burned them. That is intense. God reinforces the community aspect of responsibility, and it's the nature of a community to hold us and each other responsible. Only one person disobeyed, and the entire community suffered. And that's not fair, but it's true. When the head of the household is irresponsible, when the dad in the home is irresponsible, that's not fair. But it's true. It will affect the family. When the mother or the wife is irresponsible, it's not fair, but it will have an impact. Because irresponsibility is not an isolated event. It impacts a community. It impacts a family. It impacts a company. It impacts a country. It impacts a nation. You know, we got great kids in our children's ministry. But I'll tell you, man, when I hear the hearts of our coordinators tell me that when they ask people to serve in the church, they hear flat out, no. That's shocking to me. It shocks me. That people just go, no, I'm not serving in that ministry. Well, what else are you doing? Nothing, but I ain't doing that. That's shocking. That's shameful. And me as an evangelist, that's sad to hear people say that. I'm a 46-year-old man running around with, with junior high kids in the summer. I can't keep doing that. My body aches every summer. But man, to see those kids laugh and throw water balloons, it's priceless. If we don't take care of the next generation, it'll affect our community. It will affect us. To tolerate irresponsible is to punish the entire community. We cannot become tolerant when we see irresponsible things. We just can't become tolerant of that. And so Joshua discovers the culprit and destroys the things that have been taken. And then they go and they attack Ai again. And this time, they're victorious. And what do we learn? That God does not compensate for irresponsibility. God doesn't comp compensate when you're financially irresponsible. You suffer. Your family suffers. You shirk your responsibilities, others pay for it. This is an important lesson for all of us. Your relationship with God is your responsibility. No one else's. It's yours. Can't blame the family group. You can't blame no one called you to remind you. That's your responsibility. In fact, when people call to remind you, that's an extra. And somehow we've gotten to the, into, the, into the room where we don't even want to ask about people's relationship with God anymore. 
It's almost like, whoa, what are you doing? That's personal. Yes, right, it is personal, and I should ask. We almost think it's like harsh to ask, how are you doing with God? It's actually loving. It's actually irresponsible not to ask. Well, if you're not having a quiet time or praying, well, that's a good question that someone asked me. Hey, minister, how are your quiet times? I love that question. Because sometimes I don't pray. Sometimes I don't read. Sometimes I get busy just doing ministry things and forget about, forget about praying. Yes, the minister. Mr. Evangelist. Sometimes doesn't pray. Sometimes doesn't read. And so when someone else, I'm going, yes, back down to the basics. We got to stand up, do something. Those who don't do something, they underestimate sin. And don't underestimate sin. It is crouching at your door, ready to, ready to get you. And you must master it. So here's a, here's a good passage. That gives us a practical direction. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle. See, do something. Responsible. He says, as a community, you are responsible to warn those who are idle. Meaning, idle meaning like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. I don't want to serve in that. I don't want to get rid of you. Warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Now, he's talking to the church, the community. We're all responsible. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. I got an attitude. And when you need me, I ain't going to serve you. I'm not going to show up to your party. Because I don't like you secretly. But always strive to do good for each other and for everyone else. So let me give you an example in the Bible. Paul and Peter were hanging out in a room like this and they were all Gentile people. The Gentiles were, you know, troublesome to the Jews. The Jews and Gentiles didn't really like each other. So Peter's hanging out with the Gentiles, having a good old time, throwing your, I love your sauces. And then the Jews come in and then he goes, ooh, hey Jewish brothers, and he avoids the Gentiles. He no longer fellowships. And Paul sees this. And Peter is the big boss. And Paul's got to do him the new apostle. So he gives us a story of what happened. He says, when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Now, that's not like an opposition like, like, hey, bro. It's more like, hey, bro. Because he stood condemned. For certain people came from James. He used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belong to the circumcision group. Because some Jews believed, hey, if you're not circumcised the way of the law of Moses, you're not a real Christian. And so Peter got caught up trying to people please. And Paul saw it. And Paul warned him, hey man, you stand condemned. That's responsibility. That's community responsibility. That's loving. That's healthy. That's good. Mission love. 
Are you doing it? You shouldn't have to hear that question from me. You should be talking amongst each other. How's it going? How are you doing? Don't just pray about your heart. Change your heart. Don't just pray about a spiritual relationship. Start being a spiritual person. Don't just pray less for less stress financially. Get out of debt. Get a mentor. Don't just pray for your kids. Spend time with them. Engage them. Teach them. Discipline them. Whoa, there's a word. Don't just pray for good grades. Study. Don't just pray for good health. Eat right. Don't just pray for your neighbors. Serve them. Don't just pray about wanting the church to grow. Share your faith. Right? So, where do you need to stand up and take responsibility? Find somewhere and someone to serve. Don't just kneel and pray, but do something. It's what we do. Not always what we think and what we say, but what we do. Mean what you say and say what you mean. Thank you and God be the glory. That concludes our service.